Life. Life bubbles up from within. It sprouts. It emerges. It diversifies and blooms. It grows. Of course, it fails. It fails more than it succeeds. But those failures make life stronger. This story is in honor of all the failures of life. May you see your own failures in a more expanded light. In the beginning was the void, and out of that void emerged the spark of life. Curious, hungry, determined, and that spark banged bigly. And through that big bang, and into the void flooded a sea of energetic data, a blitzkrieg of infinitely expanding subatomic energy. Potential, intelligence, consciousness, the basic building blocks of life that do so because they are so. And within that cosmic sea of infinitely expanding possibility, formed trillions of concentrated bundles of intensity. We call most of those stars. We call the one that we're closest to the sun. And surrounding that sun formed. Planets, and out of one of those planets emerged a spark of life uniquely suited to inhabit its environmental conditions. It immediately began the process of reproduction, mutation, variation. Life encountered other versions of itself and sustained itself by feeding upon itself, transforming itself into ecosystems. Each new version of itself playing its own unique role. As life continued to evolve and expand and emerge, because somehow life remembered, life remembered which genetic mutations worked and which genetic mutations did not, and that information was passed from each version of itself to the next, each new version recording new data, passing on what it encountered and experienced. In its hostile environment, somehow passing along that data into life's organic biological data storage unit thingy—the data that updated life's previous DNA and genetic codes—it started here at the very core of our planet and began its long journey towards the surface, attracted by the sun, that intense ball of energy making all of this possible. Life evolved this way. Into at least eight million different species on this planet, and one of those eight million is called Homo sapiens. And some of those sapiens, at one brief point in time, formed a church around a profoundly impactful group of fictions created by a dude that looked at some stones in a hat, and they called themselves Mormons until they didn't, which happened very close to their end. Let's pause now to give that weird, evolved fiction called Mormonism the respect it deserves. Hello. Hello. 
That is who sapiens are. That is what sapiens do. That is simply the version of life that is us. Let's pause once again to celebrate our ability to celebrate. And now, the rest of the story. Because just like our millions of evolving ancestors before us, life continued to evolve beyond this human form. For just as the life that emerged from the center of this planet and prolifically spread upward and outward to eventually emerge from the core into the oceans and then again to emerge from the oceans onto dry land, life continued to evolve towards the sun, towards the stars, until it filled the immensity of space, meeting its brothers and sisters and cousins that evolved in different environments on different planets, nurtured and attracted by other suns, combining together, as life always does, as life always has, through a series of emergence, encounter, conflict, assimilation, integration. Life is the Borg in that sense. We are the Borg. Lower your shields and surrender your ships. We will add your biological and technological distinctiveness to our own. Resistance is infantile. Until the day that it reached a collective mass in this void that we call the universe, and broke out and through to emerge into a new void, as a new spark, a new Big Bang. And the cycle of life continued, as it always has, as it always will. In spite of global warming. In spite of fictions, and pseudoscientific woo-woo mythical speculations, Mormon-flavored or otherwise. Hello. In spite of ignorance, my people are so smart. Intolerance and failures of every kind, in spite of death and suffering and pain, possibly even because of them. You are the unique expression of life at this point in time that is called you. You are the only you that ever has or will exist in this infinitely expanding sea of life. That makes you precious, regardless of how you see yourself when comparing yourself against others. Like the millions of ever-evolving ancestors before you and after you, you collect data and feed that into life's organic biological data storage unit thingy from which you are also constantly fed in the form of inwardly stored genetic responses to outwardly encountered environmental stimuli. And the data you provide to life is unique to your specific set of biology and life experience. Your thoughts, your actions, your skills, your confidence, your insecurities, your emotions, your hopes, your fears, no one lives the life you live exactly the way that you live it. Life evolves and grows because of every single unique iteration that feeds it data. The more unique data, the more potential to evolve. Life learns and evolves and grows, in part at least, because of you. What then is the meaning and purpose of your life? Simple. It is to live. It's to play your small but significant role of living. To experience everything you experience, the extreme highs, the extreme lows, and everything in between. 
That is your unique contribution to everything that is, was, or ever will be. That is why you are. That is what makes you you. And that is how the contributions of the you that is you live on in the great organic biological data storage unit thingy forever. Make no mistake, this that I'm saying to you right now is not capital T truth. This is only a flawed and imperfect portion of capital T truth called fiction as created in this particular form directly by me and indirectly by all those who have influenced and inspired me to weave these threads of this particular fiction together. The following time the scratching this Now just do that For we all contribute directly and indirectly with our own pieces and shapes and flavors of all that we encounter, both what we hold in our conscious awareness and also the rest that is stored in our un or sub or super consciousness. Everything we think we know in all its glorious flaws and limitations. We influence each other as we stumble blindly through this life. We are all interconnected. We are all one. We are all life. And you have the power to create what that means for you. And you do it, with intention or not, with every synaptic firing. The life you experience is your kingdom, and you are its king or queen, or at the very least, you are an infant, one of many, sitting on your own unique throne. <laughs> this is Infants on Thrones. The philosophies of men mingled with humans. We are the core. After your faith has let you down. Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. I'm Glenn Ostland, and this is episode 561, The Meaning of Life, Part 1. And today I'm joined by criminal defense attorney Matt, clinical psychologist Colton, and guy who eats a lot of cereal, Brad, to respond to this email we recently received from one of you. Hey infants, I've been listening for a year and a half and I love the work that you do. I'm in a soft spot in my life right now. Nearly four years ago, my wife was hospitalized for mental health issues and hospitalized four more times the next year and a half as I cared for our five kids. Last April, my brother-in-law introduced me to your podcast. I'm now mentally and emotionally out of the church and in the search of a lifetime. What life is and what life means to me. Just a week ago, my wife had a miscarriage at 13 weeks and nearly died. Besides the loss of my child and nearly losing my wife, I've been quite sensitive lately. I'm newly lost and I don't know much, but more times than not, everything feels good and I'm at peace with what life is, which is a great feeling when what I was used to was the church having me on a blue pill IV to keep me in. At the beginning, about the first three months, my anger was out of control. I didn't want to keep learning more because I thought that the anger would not stop, but my curiosity of what I did not know about the church was much stronger than my anger. I went through a few stages to get where I am. At first, I would listen to John DeLynn because my marriage was falling apart and it seemed like I could learn something from him, but I don't know if I can keep listening to John anymore. I'm not sure why though. It seems like he keeps wallowing in the things that just make me angry and that's not really where I want to be. But then I would listen to you guys and your discussions and your approach was helpful to broaden my mind 
and to look at things and stop staring at the wall the whole time. Thinking the things I thought when I would listen to you guys has been the most helpful for me. I especially appreciated the episode you did on Buddhism with Noah Rochetta. So, once Humpty Dumpty has had this great fall, how do you put it all back together again? I'd love to hear you guys have your conversation about the meaning of life, how you've all dealt with this in your experience. Thanks. So, that's what we'll be discussing today. And that is why you got that super epic intro right there. And if you like what you hear and you want to hear more, please consider supporting us on Patreon, where for as little as $1 per episode, capped at whatever monthly amount you decide, you can say, thanks, infants. What you do is important to me. And Glenn, I especially want to help you offset the expense of your recent kidney stone removal, because damn, and I mean that, damn. So please support us on Patreon. And now I give you the meaning of life, part whatever. Hey, guys. Hey. Hey, Colton. Hey, guys. How's it going? Good. How are you doing? Good. So who's that little guy walking up behind you there? Oh, that's a moron named Jack. (laughs) (laughs) And what makes Jack such a moron? No, he's a a good dog. He's just annoying. <laughs> yeah, so is mine. Well, I've got I've got two and they're both pretty needy, but one's more needy than the other. Yeah, he's pretty needy too. He thinks he needs to be petted all the time. Yeah, does he like do the thing with the nose like on your hand like if if he's sitting next to you and you're not petting him, he's like, "Come on." Yeah, and he's little enough that he'll just jump on your lap. He's a yeah. toy Australian shepherd, so he's always counting everybody and seeing where uh, he is. Mm, yeah. But he's a good dog, huh, Jack? All right, and hello to those of you who are joining us because you want to know the meaning, the answer to the question of the meaning of life. It's all going to... It's all going to... It's what, Matt? 22? 42. 42? Mm. Where does that come from? The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Is that what it is? Yes. Yes. But apparently there's some sort of mathematical reasoning why that actually makes sense, and I forgot what it is now. I don't know. It's, it's one of the numbers in Lost. <laughs> Uh, 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42. Oh, yeah. Mm, check that out. Yeah. We lost Tom today. <laughs> I don't know that this is the best environment to say something quite in those. <laughs> oh, that's <ways>. true. <laughs> For today's episode. Yeah. Dude. But good news about Jake and his recovery. Oh, my gosh. He's, uh, he's communicating. Awareness. Awareness. Consciousness. Humor, even. Some some indications that that personality is still still, still intact, still there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I communicated with the universe, and they said he's gonna be okay. Oh, good. Yeah. So, all right, that's good to know. Yeah, really good to know. Uh, yeah. So, talking about the meaning of life, and and uh, maybe a month or two ago, we we kind of had a false start. On, on one of these Patreon live uh, attempts to, to watch, what was it, the video, the, is it the purpose of life or Man the, Search for Happiness? Man Search for Happiness. Man, yeah, that, that, that old Mormon video, Man Search for Happiness. Yeah. Who am I? Where did I come from? Why am I here? And you, you see all, everybody in the pre-existence wearing white robes and that sort of thing. We, we started doing that, but I, I forget why we didn't end up doing it but so it's been, it's been something i've been thinking about for a while and thought well let's let's get people together and see what comes out of this conversation yeah man 
And then uh, Brad, Brad's here as well. Brad's been on a few of these last ones. Matt, have you met Brad before? I can't think, can't say that I have. I don't think we have. Yeah. So, so Brad, Brad was uh, a, a missionary companion of mine. Oh yeah, I've in, heard of him. In Matsue, Japan. I heard of him. Went and saw Basic Instinct in the theater as a missionary. Of course. <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> we saw The Crow. That was our big uh, movie sin, our big R-rated, but we rented it. It's probably a better movie. Yeah, remember, better, yeah, it was a better movie. I remember watching Jackass, and I just felt awful about it. Oh, but, yeah. <laughs> hey, man, I think I just won a murder. I think I'm going to win this murder trial. I think we're going to yeah. walk him. Yeah. So we'll see. Calling my shot here before it happens. I'll let you guys, I'll let you know. Cool. Yeah. Well, good luck tomorrow. Thank you. That's right. Murder, setting murders free. That's how we roll. All right. So what, one of the things I sent to, to Tom when, when we first started talking about having this conversation, I wrote down a bunch of questions about the meaning of life. And, and the first one is like, what is life? I don't know if this is interesting to anybody else besides me, but it was, what is life? What are you? What parts of life are you? What parts of life are not you? What has life provided to you? And what are you providing to life? And then how do the answer to any of these questions affect the way that you see the world and the way that you live your life? That's, that seemed like an interesting approach to me at the time. I, I don't know so much anymore. So I'm just going to throw that out there and see if, if anything sticks with anything that you guys might be interested in talking about in, in the, the meaning of life. Once you, once you leave Mormonism, how do you find meaning in life? What was Mormonism's meaning of life again? I think I forgot. Well, to, to, to get a body. I remember that. Because okay. the, you're in the pre-existence, right? And in order to become like our Heavenly Father, in order to become gods, you have to get a body. Okay. And then there was the other, there was one other thing that you had to do. What was it? It was to get a body and to be tested or something. Is that it? Dude. <laughs> I mean, I'll say, you, since ahead. I, so I've, I've been thinking about this a lot over the last couple of days. Well, since today, since you said we were doing this, um, I've thought deeply of it for the last 45 seconds. Um, <laughs> the, um, leaving Mormonism, it feels like it's been this manic exploration of God. And what God is, at least for me, and it's been a, it's been, I've been trying to really reflect on why that is and why that's been so important, especially as I've moved from, and I, I, I became what I'd say is a, a fairly staunch atheist, right? A very, but still, even then, it was kind of this idea of meaning and purpose and what is and and, and consciousness and reality. There was always, there's always been this existential question of existence. And especially after leaving Mormonism, because there was so much more wonder, there was renewed wonder. But the question of what God is has been critical for me to the meaning of life. Because for me, it has to do with purpose um, or motive, um, you know, for, for me. So that's been my exploration outside of Mormonism is answering that question for me and then determine why that matters and what the application is of that. And I think I figured that out at least for me, but for me, that's been 
important as that is, is really what the, what we used to teach in, you know, Mormonism is it is, you know, it's necessary for a man in order to understand, you know, whatever, understand, um, God, like the first principle of gospel right. is to know the true nature of God. Yeah. Something, yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I really explored that outside of Mormonism at a greater depth. Um, and, and that's that, that instructs at least meaning, purpose, motive, life. Hmm. So maybe it's a way to do that. You know, I was thinking on the question and, you know, we were kind of spoofing a little bit about the Mormon, you know, purpose of life and all that. And is, is kind of as hokey as it sounds now. I still remember a handful of years ago when I realized it was all bullshit. And, you know, that you can't sleep at night, you're freaked out, you don't know what it's going to be when you die, you, you, you wonder, hey, am I going to be nothing? Is, is it all sorts of things? And, and uh, I guess for me, I, I realized that, you know, I, I looked all the places outside of myself for the answers of what life would be, whatever, why I'm here, why I'm doing what I'm doing. And then as I thought about it, and as Mormonism unraveled, I realized that really there's no outer authority that can give to me that, that meaning, that purpose that, that Matt talks about. Yeah. And so for me, I, I quit delegating up to other people kind of what that is. And I guess if you'd asked me, I don't know if there's a God or not. I don't know if there's going to be consciousness or not. I don't know a lot of things. Uh, what I imagine is if there is one, I'm kind of a hopeful agnostic. If there is one great. Um, and hopefully he, he, takes pity upon me, but I find a lot of purpose and value in just uh, bettering my family. Uh, I enjoy my work. I enjoy my family. I got a great wife, married 18 years, you know, investing into my kids. And I don't really think about bigger purposes too often. You know, I, I find motivation, get up, put my pants on, go do the work and really just enjoy life. I have great friends. And so maybe I'm not even the right guy to answer because I don't know that I, I really go down too many roads because I don't like to give other people authority to tell me kind of what, what purposes are, you know, I, it's sure. Just, but, but, you know, I, I, I follow my own. Well, and I, I would hope what would come out of this discussion is that nobody thinks that we're trying to say, we've got it figured out. Here is the single answer and we're going to shove it down everybody's throat. You know, I, no, it's, it's, we're having a discussion about things. We're all, you know, these blind men around an elephant. What is it that you're, picking up what well, is it that you think that already you, you know there's already disconnection and misunderstanding because when i use the term god that has particular meaning to me that i suspect sure. is very different than anybody that's going to listen out there yeah so you know it, it becomes you know a detailed a very a very involved concept um you know i think when we're talking about meaning yeah and you know so so colton you asked the question um you know like remind me what's the mormon answer of the purpose of life. And I, I think, I think it's the plan of salvation is basically the way that that set up that, that there was a pre-existence when we didn't have a body and, but we were deity in embryo intelligences as Joseph Smith talked about it. And in order to move to the next stage of existence, um, there, you know, those who kept their first estate, went on to the second estate, which is mortality. And those who didn't are banished forever with the devil, the one third of the hosts of heaven. Right. And so those who 
come to earth, which are us, us people who got our bodies. Now it's to keep, are we going to keep the second estate? So that's kind of the, the test. Are we, are we going to do what we need to do to move on to the next stage? And, you know, that's, that's to receive a resurrected body of glory, which will either be in a celestial, terrestrial, or celestial form. And it's the celestial highest degree of that kingdom that allows you to become like a god. Um, and so I, I, the, the, the purpose of life from that perspective, for me growing up, was, was one, obedience to the leaders. Obe- you know, like that's how you keep your second estate is that you do what you're told. And when you make mistakes, you repent. Um, and, and, and kind of sharing that with others like we, we did as missionaries, right? So, and, and serving other people in the ward becomes, I, I, I think that fills a huge uh, role in giving people a sense of purpose and meaning that they're contributing to, to others in their, their life. And so when, when you stop believing, I think what you said, Brad was, was when I realized all that was bullshit, I had all these sleepless nights where I'm wondering, okay, well then what does happen to me when I die? Do I, am I just nothing? Is there any point in doing this? Because so much of our lives we're told the reason that we're doing our home teaching or, you know, you name it, whatever calling is because we're getting points for it. We're getting kudos for it in heaven. This is what we've got to do to, to keep our second estate and make it to the highest degree of the celestial kingdom and but do even, all of our ordinances and blah, 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 blah. Unpacking yeah. that a little bit more as you're walking through it, it became really weird how explicit that was. And I remember being a believer and feeling so much value that I knew exactly where I was going, exactly yeah. what the plan was. And most of my Christian friends or other, you know, belief systems friends had a kind of a general understanding of what it could be but the fact that it was so clean and precise and good I had a lot of comfort in that but then also you you stayed very busy doing things on that so so when it comes crashing down that leaves a huge hole I I, you know I, I would imagine that people probably end in different places but the process of getting out of that hole is big for everybody so I guess I'm not surprised that you know it it came in the email. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, you know, listening to you guys talk, it's interesting in my line of work. That's where I often meet people. Yeah. Particularly to this in, in the midst of the beginnings or middle of their faith transition, where, you know, religions in general provide such a great structure for people and that gives them, like you guys are saying, that clean answer to life's greatest mysteries. And, and generally, and naturally as people, I think we just hate ambiguity and uncertainty, like, you know, yeah. Right, we don't like that. And so when somebody has the answer for us, oh man, that fills a lot of angst, normal human angst that we have. So, you know, yeah, so when you start to leave that religion and that that stuff falls apart really quickly, I mean, Glenn, even as you were describing that convoluted mess of Mormonism belief about this, I mean, my head was spinning like, holy shit, how did I ever believe that? I mean, it sounds so silly now. And yet, there are people... <laughs> who really hold on to that. I mean, that is the meaning for their lives. Huh. Um, and, and, and again, like when people leave that, it leaves this gaping hole. I'm working with somebody right now. She's been a member for 40 plus years. She's just left, you know, leaving the church as we speak. And she immediately goes to now what, like what's important in my life? What do I teach my kids? You know, what is even the meaning? And it's really kind of fun to get in these deep conversations with people about, 
kind of their journey and figuring this stuff out as they go. The, and yeah, I mean, you, 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 you I kind of chuckled when you said how the plan of salvation seems stupid to you now. I still kind of really like it. I mean, I think it's as far as like an art form and an expression of, of culture. I, I, I think it's, it's um, pretty interesting and it has its own inherent internal logic that as long as you stay within that, then you're good. Once you go outside of it, it starts falling apart. Um, but uh, the, the things that I found really complicating about it, like, like once, once I started going through that process, like your, your client that you were talking about leaving Mormonism is I, I always felt like there, my thoughts were being monitored by, it could be God. There was always the question, does the devil have access to my thoughts too? Is, he, is the devil able to read my thoughts or put thoughts into my head? You know, and, and once I started seeing the world as, wait, no, I'm alone in my thoughts. No one knows my thoughts. You know, I like sitting across from my bishop when he's asking me a question, um, he's not reading my mind and ask and, and like testing me to see if I'm going to give the right answer or not. But there are times, times when I thought that growing up, you know, so it's, I, I think it's a, a big, at least in my experience, it was a pretty big shift to, to start thinking of myself as being responsible for my own thoughts um, and that, that they're, they're not being heard by other people. People. Well, I mean, the the thing that, that that caused me to go to is is the reason why the my concept of God is important mm. because it starts to instruct what types of behaviors I find acceptable, and because I think at some point if we have a be, real belief in a in a in something greater than us, whatever whatever that is, or if we don't we start to come to terms or I think we have to come to terms with what does that say about our behaviors? And so it becomes a question of morality. And so for me, when I, I think about my concept of God when I was a kid versus kind of my concept of God as I got a little older versus now versus and in, in, in kind of the shifting, um, you know, and as a, as a kid, it was kind of this very wondrous, this ideal, you know, superhero Jesus that understood what was right and wrong and would come in like your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man to intervene and help people, right? That was kind of my concept of this, this, this deity. Cause right? he helps you find the car keys or he helps he, wait, when sure. he's going to kill Isaac, he steps in and stops yeah, him. does all the good stories, right? None of the, none of the overturning violent stuff and the chosen. Nephi, who was it the, 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 the Nephites that were in the jail and he like, crashes the walls down and free yeah, man. Them. And and baby. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, gives gives homeboy the power to cut off arms, right? Kapam. Yeah, right. You know? Shazam. You know? Yeah. Um it was kind of that that idea, but there was you know, there was definitely something about an an idea of justice and of of, of mercy and 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 that was the concept that I had. And so I've come as I've come away from 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 the belief in the Mormon God and and really view that the voice in, inside my head has been me the whole time, then I choose to be a manifestation of the God that I viewed there, which, you know, in my world is different type of superpowers or, or protection powers that I have than maybe Jesus has with his magicness. But, I mean, I'm inspired by the, the concept of Matilda, 
right? Who used her power to say that's not right. I don't know. I'm not familiar with Matilda. What are you talking about? Matilda, the girl, the Trunchbull, right? Oh. The book, Roald Dahl. Come on, Glenn. Roald Dahl, Matilda. Okay. All right. Here's my connection to that, though, is, um, you know, I look around and choose to hopefully see where there's or, or choose to act where I can affect change based on my what I identify as being what good right um helpful healthy so matt where did that uh, i guess how did that journey go for you because i right next to my office at work there is a a mormon guy who uh in the church raises his kids he knows i'm out of the church and, and one of the first things you know he he does that old mormon trope where if i left the church i would be a drunk in the gutter i'd be so worthless i wouldn't know how to raise my kids and he's talking about homeschooling and, and i'm like yeah. you know you can homeschool your kids morality you know if you don't go to church and it's just like the 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 you know the the religious form of that you know you'll homeschool your kids because you can teach them math and english i can teach my kids good and bad but in his mind he has he does not understand purpose value morality if it's not framed by the church and so right. we've all come to a place where we've figure that out in our lives and just you know kind of spinning that back you know you you're in a different place in where you were and, and what did your journey look like? So my journey, exactly what I just said there is at some, and it related to my kids and, and the big question of what do I now do with my kids? And very, very early on the, what I, what I identified is at least what I didn't want to do with my kids. And what I didn't want to do is indoctrinate them the way that I was indoctrinated. So early, early on my concept of God right? When, when it came to my kids was really important. And the concept of being atheist was very important. Okay, we all die. So if that's the case, then my kids truly are an independent life force from me. And so that beginnings of seeing my kids not as extensions of me, but as their own living entity, that I needed to get out of their fucking way, rather than try to control, was the beginnings of this, this concept, I guess, and this, this idea of purpose. Because when I no longer had this external source to say, here's what you got to do for your kids and here's why, right? They not only say how, why, how to do it, but why. When that didn't become the case, now my interest had to be what's in their best interests. And to bridge and try to evaluate where their best interests may not necessarily align for what I think is in their best interests and really trying to not get in their way. But again, this concept of God was really, really important because I think before when I had this concept of children of God and we're all children of God, right? At some point, you know, it becomes animal farm where you're like, yeah, but I'm kind of a more advanced child than you're a child. So I can kind of dominate you. Right. But if that's, but so that instead of that, I really tried to adopt the idea of, I am my own God and you are your own God. And what does that mean? The concept of, of God that we've been working with, 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 um, with my kids, at least, is, this, is just that. You get to decide what your world looks like. And that shift, that concept has, has been integrated as we've been navigating real world shit with my kids that impact their lives the concept of I'm looking at another God 
a person, an organism that is independent from me and that gets to decide things for their, for, for themselves. So that, that concept, that, that, that beginnings of a, of a concept was critical to shifting the way that I engage with people in my life. Matt, what would, when, when you're talking about God, maybe you could, could define like, what, what, what is God to you? What do you mean by yeah. that? So I've gone through this, I've gone through this arc over the past little bit about trying to re reclaim my spirituality, you know, and if listeners will remember back about a year ago, um, you know, I did a, I did a Jesus lesson about trying to kind of find all oh, the Christmas arc, Jesus yeah, thing. Christmas yeah. Jesus, trying to find yeah. an, the archetype of Jesus. And, and I was really, really kind of spending some time in that. And so the last year I've been again, finding God and, and, and I've been saying for a long time, you know, what, what that means to me and been trying to, 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 to understand it. Eventually I've come, come to articulate it this way is that at some point life is God. Life. The fact that we live, the fact that, that we exist is, is in and of itself worthy of worship and is divine. And that um, just like our body is uh, made up of billions and billions of cells. They're, they're, them, they're themselves just their own, um, their, their own living organism making up one larger cell. So too, my cell, my, my organism, right, is, a, is, is amongst other cells that make up, and other living organisms that make up a larger living organism of this globe, this planet, which is a cell. And that goes on exponentially of cells within organisms, within organisms, within organisms. And at some point, life is deity. Life is, is God. And so the fact that we exist, the fact that I am, exist makes me God. The fact that the earth exists makes the earth God. And I look at other people and other living things, and like the Buddhists or the, the Hindus, right? You say, namaste, I see the divine within you. And the most, the most common thing in life is life. And yet life is still precious if we view it that way. So that's my view of God is the very fact that we are and that we exist um, is, is, is purpose in and of itself. And it's a bit of a tautology. It's a bit, it's a bit circular, but that's what I mean when I say God. Some people talk about, you know, Mother Earth or Gaia. Um, and I like that concept, not in a new age form. Um, I like it in the scientific form, in a, in a biochemistry form, the concept of sim symbiosis and the way that our entire environment is a symbiosis of short-lived things and long-lived things, of which sometimes we're long-lived things and sometimes we're short-lived things. I want to say one more thing real quick. I view that way, that concept has been helpful to me because I think of my place in this ecosystem, in this environment, in this living organism as a cell, a cell that's fighting to be as healthy as possible in order to battle in this organism, to try to make this organism as healthy as possible. And I think the things that I try to do in my life um, for my body, whether it be what I, how I move or how I breathe or how I eat, um, and then what I do socially with my mind and, and in order to, to, try to, to try to have mental health as well, I try to have this organism, this vessel be as healthy as possible. And I hope as if I'm as healthy as possible, I can start interacting and, and help other cells be healthy. But I start real small. I start with my, my, my wife. And she started with me. And the reason I'm more healthy is because she teaches me how to love. 
but we teach each other and we try to become healthy in this little ecosystem, this little symbiosis relationship that's now two. And then we expand that to our kids and we work real small to try to be as healthy and adaptive as possible at a small level. And then we have our own ecosystem and our own organism that we're trying to figure out very, very small. And to me, that's godly. That's divine to find that type of um, interdependence and helpfulness on a very, very small level. And so what I've found is truly heaven right here, right within me, as I've tried to make my own self as healthy and adaptive to what my needs are as I can, not by following somebody else's rules, but identifying where my own needs are and hopefully having the courage to embrace the things that I need and exclude the things that are less, less healthy. So that's God for me. God is outside in my backyard um, when I do yoga, when I feel very much healthy to this vessel, and when I feel very much in love and connected with the people in my life. Praise well, me. I, I was going to say, I, that's a, a different level than I, I work for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So in, in, in what ways, Brad, what do you mean by that? You know, I, I guess, you know, if I was to, the things that are very similar to what Matt said would be that initial thing of, of unplugging, you know, finding your own inner authority, you know, that, that, you know, when you pull out of the religion, there's that hole that we talked about. And for me, it wasn't so much as, as, trying to fill what the church had for me or, or had provided for me, it was getting comfortable with the idea that there's a lot of things that the church told me that weren't true. And from that, I assume that, that nobody really has it figured out. So getting comfortable with the ambiguity and and that that my own inner authority to 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 live live a life that that makes sense to me uh good that that feels good in my heart good that that does right by my family by my neighbors um all of those things but i i didn't really unpack it beyond that and you know what i've what i've found is you know that's that's the same that that is the commonality now uh framing you know i you know kudos to matt for you know finding a place to maximize his good and, and thinking of himself as as a piece of a broader organization you know the, the 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 cells the life that's around him and making it as healthy as possible um i i guess part of it is is um for me it i i really just approach it as Doing good, doing right is, you know, we used to call it the light of Christ, but it's just part about being a part of humanity and society and being a value add. And so I, I, I volunteer at the food bank and I, I'm on their, their uh, charter board. And so I, I try to, to do those things. But honestly, I don't put a lot of, uh, of mental thought into it. It's how can I get my kids wired right so they can be value in society? Mm. 
independent, be good? Um, how can I, I live a life that is purposeful? And as I talk with my Mormon, uh, you know, office mate who who has this idea that that all is good is from God, and if you don't have God, you can't be good. And and I'm sitting there really thinking. He's only regurgitating what they told him. I mean, he doesn't know. They've said, hey, you need us because we're good. And he doesn't even know what life without God would be. In fact, he was talking about a, a relative, a very dark and loathsome individual, you know, the Mormon terms. And when he described what, how the guy was bad, the guy was an atheist and looked at porn. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not a bad guy. But, you know, because he's been painted into a box – that's that's unfortunate. And so, you know, what really is good if it's not how you believe or what what you do when nobody else is around that doesn't hurt anybody? You know, that was the piece that I, I filled in. And, you know, I guess I'm good being an atheist and looking at porn. I, I don't know. But it doesn't make my life bad. Well, you, would, you said something that just is really what I'm trying to say, which is it has to do with my kids, which to me has to do with evolution is that we have an opportunity with our kids to help them to be a part of their evolution. And I think that happens particularly when we're able to not saddle them with the same obstacles and burdens that what I had. And the way I've been conceiving of it recently, in the last couple of days especially, is the idea of corruption. Is that our kids at some point are not corrupted by um, agendas and, and, and um, you know, uh, well, just, just other people and other, uh, other, other people who would take advantage of them and exploit them, right? They're filled just with wonder and with um, questions and authority. They know what they know, and they know um, what they like. And then they start getting kind of beat down, I think, over time. So I, I think about um, at least that, uh, I don't know, that, that, that concept of not corrupting my kids with my own myopic ideas. And instead, trying to um, give them access to as many options and as much as much access to information as possible for them to draw conclusions um, broadly. So this concept of corruption, and especially corruption for our kids, for our little ones, for the young bloods, right, um, is very is is constantly in my mind. For all the people, all the kids that especially that I inter- interact with, because um, I think that's a form of evolution, man. If we can not have to have them work through the shit that we had to, but let them work through other shit, <laughs> then they can help us all evolve, man. Push pull. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, as as let me jump in here. As as Brad was talking about his office mate, uh, the quote from Russ Cole from the series. True detective, Matthew McConaughey came to mind. I love this quote. And he said, if the only thing keeping a person decent is the expectation of a divine divine reward, then brother, that person is a piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> and, and as Matt and Brad are talking and in my own experience, you know, I, I haven't changed all that much, you know, and as far as my behavior goes and the way I treat other people since I've left the church, I'm pretty much the same person, but my motivations have changed. I'm no longer doing it, you know, so I can become elder scorn president or, or look good for the ward or get to heaven. I'm doing it just out of this simple, basic morality um, of just mutual 
respect and tolerance and wanting to be treated just like, or wanting and treating others just like I want to be treated. And so, that's, go ahead. I was going to ask you, Colton. So, so with that, it feels like you're going to say something that I've thought about, you know, a, a truer, better morality because it's more sincere, more genuine. You give wholeheartedly, you know, it's not the, the move in the elders quorum, you know, new person because you have to at your assignment, but it's you're engaging with a level of sincerity because nothing matters on it. Yeah, I mean, I would like to think so. Again, I'm not expecting any divine rewards here. I'm just doing it kind of like Matt is talking about, just for the sake that we're all connected on some level and that we do better our children do better um, when we try to kind of move in the same direction in, in healthy directions. And so, yeah, it just comes out of this sense. And, and maybe this was, I mean, obviously part of this was instilled to me by my own parents, but, you know, having integrity, treating other people with respect, why wouldn't we be doing that? If not, we're holding, you know, humanity back in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, when, when you were talking about motivation, Colton, I was thinking about how, especially as a missionary, you're really wanting to convert people to the Mormon church. You've got this, this idea, you've got these expectations in your mind, of this is how things should be. And I think, you know, when we've talked about cognitive biases or, you know, distortions and uh, bad thinking in the past, that this is one of them, the, the should, that, that the Mormon church had a very strong sense of this mold that everybody should fit into. And, one of my shifts has been relaxing those expectations, not only for other people, but also for myself, where I can become a little bit more, I hope I become a lot more um, accepting and tolerant of all different kinds of diversity. Um, and, you know, to, to, to Matt's earlier discussion about God being life and life being God, I, I've, I've had very, very similar thoughts as well um, along those lines. And, and I think for me, one of the areas that it's helped to, to um, reduce my need for people to conform to something that I think is an ideal is that I think of life or God is kind of everything that ever is or was or will be. <laughs> and, and I, I was watching a, uh, this Brian Green Fabric of the Cosmos Nova series. I've, I've watched these over and over again. And one where he was explaining uh, Einstein's theory of relativity and time, he, he did this really great visual of a slice of time, like a moment of time where there's all these things that are happening in exactly the same moment. And then he, he panned it out to like a, this universe that looks like a loaf of bread and it's cut everything as a slice. And basically that any, anything that ever was in the past or will be in the future, according to the theory of relativity, already exists. All that stuff's already out there. And so I think of what would my little imprint look like on that big loaf of bread of everything that ever is, ever was, or ever will be. And it's, it's small. Would I say it's insignificant? I don't know. It's, 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 it's unique to any other person's experience with that. So I've started to think in times where I feel like I'm not measuring up to some ideal that I think I should be that, Hey, I'm, I am the expression of life. That is me. That's, that's like the things that I feel, the things that I think, 
my experiences uh, w- without that, life wouldn't be complete. You know, life as a whole, the, this whole thing wouldn't be, it would be missing this little small thing that's me. And that, that's, that's helped me to be less judgmental of myself as like, oh, I should be better. I should do this. I should not. Well, look, this is just what I am. This is the way that life is experiencing every single possible thing that could be experienced. And I'm a little piece of that. And I don't know if that makes sense to anybody else, but that's something that's helped me um, so and, and be more of a motivation. Yeah. Is it possible to live an ungodly life in that paradigm? Well, if you're saying that life is God, then no. Because that would, you'd be asking, are you able to live an unlife-filled life? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's why I, yeah, I was trying to kind of frame up. And when Matt was talking earlier, I, I kind of thought of that question because he talked about valuing life and respecting other people's life and, and him valuing life. And it made me think, you know, the opposite would be is the ungodly life not valuing life, other people's life, their places in it. Um, just, just trying to understand that, that paradigm. Well, so, so along those lines, when I say that I, I do, I am religious concepts in, in a very secular, very scientific, um, organic, um, concept are, are important. And the, and, and the one concept is redemption is looking at other things other individuals, other beings, and seeing value. And for me, it, there's value in that that is part of our, um, this, this larger organism. And, and, and to me, I, I say, you know, that any environment that gives this diversity of life is worthy of worship, right? It's worthy of, of, of and, and so, um, so for me, redemption is simply seeing value in other things, other people including and especially those who could be viewed as, as being harmful to me, that I can't just find value in the people that I benefit from or see as good or moralizing. In the same, the same regard, I have to see um, the areas in which I am an, an, an enemy, a demon, to continue the religious the, the concept of, uh, to other people. And to acknowledge the reality of that, and for me, it's not just to accept that, but it's to see that I um, don't cause, uh, cause le- mitigate the suffering that I cause and, op- and avoid the unnecessary suffering that I have to experience as well. But in doing that, seeing real value um, of, of other people. So, yeah, I don't know. I think that's godly. I think it's godly to... Um, to be able to both see yourself maybe more clearly as you, as you are rather than see yourself as the hero in every situation. And I think it's healthy to see other people as complicated, especially those who, you know, invaluable, especially those who provide no direct value um, to you. And so that, that's my approach right now. And it's really hard, um, especially as, you know, you encounter pieces of shit the way that we do. And you want to just zap if I could, right? And zap, 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 zap. So you squish their heads, you know, and then you say, but there's maybe they have a dog that likes them and that dog needs to be fed. And so there's value because I like dogs and dogs provide good vibes, you know, and maybe at some point that dog will do this. And then in a thousand years as a result of that dog doing something, good things, you know, whatever. So So, that's what I try to do. 
So I like what Matt's saying there because it goes back to a principle that I kind of have endorsed in, in psychology, which is human rating. Essentially what Matt, what I hear Matt saying is that he sees value in everyone that, and, and yeah. for me, and for me myself, when I was in the LDS church, people had value to me if they were Mormon right. or if they believed yeah. what I believe, right. you know, if we were, you know, essentially if we were of the same tribe, but since leaving Mormonism, it has opened my mind to the reality that every person has value, whether we like that or not, I believe that is true. And so that allows me when I'm able to see people as subjects rather than just objects for me to use, it helps me be more tolerant. It's easier for me to be kinder to others and, and kind of spread this idea of what Matt is calling God, this essentially goodness or, or being of, 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 of value, um, what I'm trying to of service to other people rather than just to ourselves. So yeah, I just value like, to the so so I want to speak on purpose for a second, real quick. Sorry, did I interrupt somebody? I want to provide. I want to demonstrate that I show value to the people who are speaking. Um, <clears throat> I was thinking about this idea of purpose, though, and one of the things that I that I did spend spend time with meditating is always trying to flip that script. And I've been really playing with the idea of if there was absolutely no purpose. Um, what would my behaviors be like? And so the way I pl- this thought experiment I've kind of played with is, is first of all, there's the idea of what I was talking about. Everything is connected. Everything is life. We are the part of a greater whole. Isn't this beautiful? Well, yes. You know, it's like, and Owen Wilson says, wow, 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 wow. You know? Um, but then the other thought that I have is that I love the idea of the computer simulation model. Yeah. Wow. That, we are mathematically more likely to be a simulation uh-huh. of a simulation in another uh-huh. universe than we are an organic <laughs> thing. Yeah. And so I love spending time with that and thinking, okay, what if that is reality? Wait, what did, did, did behaviors you, be? Hey, uh, back up. What did you say about organic? The simulation? Rather than being kind of a life thing in organic, we are really a simulation. We are just a, like the Rick and Morty. Yeah, Roy. but why can't, why can't it be both? Why can't the simulation be manifested in this organic biology? Yeah, okay. That's, but the point that I'm trying to make is not relevant to that. I'm trying to make draw a very clear distinction and not fucking go too. Oh, we, oh, sorry. So you're not valuing we, my curiosity about what, understanding better what you're saying, Matt? Yeah, yeah, no, but that's 201 level stuff right now. Okay. Let's start. All right. Okay. All right. Glenn, we need different types of drugs to go there. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's, okay. That's, All right. I can get them. That's, wow. That's, that's, that's 20 level. But at least the life versus, say, a computer simulation, right? Truly a matrix kind of thing essentially right but i like that idea because it causes me to spend time think first of all it helps me explain sometimes the life that i that i live and think it makes more sense as this computer simulation i'm pretty sure um but it also uh makes me think okay what would i do if literally this is nothing we are in a you know so we just hit a bong rip and we're now in the middle of some 30 second trip you know somewhere else or or you know playing a video game that that is indistinguishable from uh, reality where, where you play a life, you know, you're, you're doing, you're, you're doing a life that feels like it's 70 years or whatever, but ends up actually being, you know, about six, six minutes, you know, 15 minutes, whatever. And, you know, there's a Rick and Morty bit like there where they're like, yeah, that was really impressive where you spent your forties and fifties at that, uh, insurance job. That was, that was real good. Um, but if that's true, even, um, would my behaviors be different? And then I went even further. And I started really spending the idea because, you know, I, I, because of my job and stuff, we deal in the concept of mental illness and hallucinations and, you know, what just really, you know, and I think, well, what if I'm just a madman? What if what I'm experiencing, you know, I'm just, I'm in a, 
cage somewhere, you know, I'm in a, you know, some other, and I'm just mad. Um, you know, what if all those things are true? And at some point, if my behaviors moving forward will all be the same, whether or not I am God, God, I am God's prophet. I am, you know, a, a simulation or I'm a madman. I feel pretty comfortable about the steps that I'm taking. And rather than being motive, you know, having motivated reasoning, I guess. And so I kind of look at, try to approach reality knowing that I have no way to even start to, start to pretend that I know what ultimate reality is. So instead, I accept that as a given and evaluate my choices and my, the manner in which I move through life with all of those and none of those being possible. And I always come back to the same thing. I want to spend more time with the people that I love, with authentic intimate interactions. I want to have as much great sex as I can. I want to eat as much good food as I can. I want to live long. I want to live healthy and I want to live connected with my mind and body and my wife and my children who have now become recently some of the best friends in my life. And so I'll take steps to hopefully work through that. And now I'll take steps to hopefully not have to be bound by other people's rules or borders or, you know, be dominated by other people because I was dominated for most of my career and most of my life in school and in church and in government employment. And I'm done living that way anymore. So if this is the only life I have and God does not exist, and when I'm done with this, I pop out and I will never have anything beyond that, then I want to do something worth experiencing in this life. If God is real, the very Mormon God, and directs all these things, then I want to do, have certain experiences in my life. If I am God, I want to have good experiences. And if I'm a madman or a computer simulation, I'd like to live in a way that enriches me as much as I can. So those behaviors, the integrations of the concept of the cosmos of God, of meaning of life, becomes meaningless once I spend time there and see what that integration of when I have to wake up after dying every goddamn day at night. I woke up. I'm no longer dead. So what am I going to do with it? Well, I choose to hopefully dance more times than spar with people. Wow. So I think that's really cool. Matt is saying in a lot of ways that essentially, and Matt, correct me if, I, if I'm not interpreting this right, that you're doing exactly what you would be doing even if this was a simulation or you were a cell or whatever it was. You're still living an authentic life right now. Is that kind of what I hear you saying? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, regardless of that. And, and, and it's interesting when I have these kinds of conversations, because I have them almost weekly with different patients. And a lot of it has to do with like certain people get so depressed and then they get to this nihilistic state of mind where nothing right. matters and why yeah. do we even bother this, this, this. But what ultimately happens is exactly what Matt just did is we, go, we kind of dance around. We kind of think of all of these different possibilities of the purpose and meaning, meaning of life. However, the majority of people that I work with, including myself, where we end up is what is most important to us is our relationships, are the people around us and how we treat them and how they treat us. And, and, and earlier, Glenn, you were talking about like, how big of a deal is that? Like, is that just a really small part, a little drop in the ocean, if you would? And I wouldn't say we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be measuring this by quantity, but rather than quality. Mm. 
and, and as I reflect on my life, on the people who've impacted my life, it's been little moments here and there, you know, a grade school teacher here and there, even a church leader, uh, a friend. And those are the things that have shaped my life and really given it quality for me. And that's what I want to pass along the way as well to my children, to the, my friends, to my family. So I guess what I'm saying is I'm preaching my own meaning of life. If I had to sum it up, it would be my relationships. So kind of going down that road a little bit, um, and I'm just kind of thinking as I'm, you know, talking here a little bit, but, you know, so relationships are very important. I guess sounds really good unless you have really bad relationships with people. Then, then that's a shitty life is really it what is. I heard. No, it, it is a shitty life. And I, I, I think of the relationships that have come in and out of my life over the course of especially the last six years, 10 years as, as I've, as I've evolved and they've been so painful because some of them have, have, I've thought would be permanent and the new friends, some of the new friends and relationships and intimate um, relationships that came in were sure were going to be permanent. And they weren't. What I've found is that over time, is, is the quality I get or the quantity of those relationships are lower, lower. And, it's, and, and the problem is, is so many of these relationships are not fulfilling. The difficult thing has been changing the boundaries of those relationships that aren't fulfilling. But what I've learned is, as I've done that, that's allowed greater energy to be put into those more healthy relationships and those more, as I've given more authentic expressions of love, then I've found where those expressions of those authentic expressions of love are coming, you know, from other people. And they were unexpected in some cases. They weren't the people that I was expending so much energy and as a result of that wasn't seeing the people who were actually the adaptive and, and, and the, the, the people who were ultimately my pack and, and that, that was, you know, I was in symbiosis with. So it's a, it's a real process, I think, in, I, in first being comfortable and intimate with ourselves before we can really understand what that authentic expression and what that authentic connection is external from us. And I think that's often the challenge um, is sometimes putting the cart before the horse and, and going into those forced and maybe expected relationships. But I agree with you. The relationships is perhaps it's hard enough to spend. It's hard enough to really be comfortable here, man, with us adding another person to the mix sure complicates it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's interesting that uh, I, I, I think um, growing up Mormon, I, I felt like if I'm focusing too much on myself, that that means I'm being selfish and I'm being bad and that what I really should always be do, I, I should always be in the service of others and put other people first. And I, and I, I, I want to hear from you on this Colton, because I, I, I think what I've been, been learning recently is that it's not wrong to try to focus on yourself at all and that actually if you're focusing on too many people you're really creating a lot of uh, unnecessary suffering for yourself and other things like like could, could you talk about that balance between self and others especially in relationships 
Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that are popping in my mind, but one analogy I use with a lot of my patients is, is, you know, we've all been on an airplane and during the security briefing, they say if the, when the masks drop, what do we do right. first? Yeah. You know, you put it on yourself first. Well, yeah. why? Obviously, because if you're suffocating, you're not going to be of any help to anybody else. And I know people, um, a lot of my patients and maybe even myself at times who I had that same notion that if I ever took care of myself for my own needs, then I was being selfish and being selfish is a sin, et cetera. Right. So I ran around like a chicken with my head cut off trying to please everybody else around me um, because it's kind of this, this viewpoint, you know, and, and now I'm kind of talking about people pleasing that people who are people pleasers essentially view others as glass figurines that they're going to shatter if we do anything or say anything that they don't like or that offends them. And so we do everything we can to never cause waves to never because cause contentions waves. of the devil. So you don't want to ever bring up anything that might even taste like contention. Right. And even conflict, you know, conflict yeah. is not of the devil. Conflict is necessary and healthy. Yeah. And yet in Mormonism, I've found that people equate contention even with conflict. Exactly. Right. So, yeah. so what happens to a lot of people is they become martyrs. Yeah. Yes. They kind of say, you know what, I'll just, I can handle it. I'll just suffer myself in silence. I will never look out for my own needs because I need to protect everybody else around me. Yeah. yeah. And if I were to ever hurt anybody else, oh, that would just be the worst thing ever. So again, I will be the mar I will be the Jesus for these people. Right. But martyr stuff. comes back to that ego, right? That, oh, self-aggrandizing and it's coming from a, an, what I'm going to say is an exploitive place. So yeah, I think that's a great so good, good. So, so back to what you were saying, Glenn, um, it's actually really healthy <laughs> to look after your own needs first, yeah. because again, if you're suffocating, you cannot be of no service or little, you can't be as, as much service to other people as you could if you're in a healthy spot. Well, um, and I, and I, I you know, I, I see people and, and, and see times in my life where, um, you know, avoiding, addressing my own problems by trying to white knight somebody else. And, you know, I'm very good at identifying your problems and let's really focus on that because it's a way for me to try to try to do a proxy, um, taking care of my own shit, but really I just want them wanting to avoid it instead. And so I think, you know, look for instances where we, we are focusing on other people, you know, trying to help other people and it comes from a good place and it makes us feel good. But if it's maybe a mask for something else. That's why I'm a therapist. I just don't deal with my own shit. I just <laughs> yeah, right. What is it? The it's the the sad clown, right? The yeah. <laughs> Actually, as a therapist, I you know a lot of people will ask me, you know, how do you do what you do? They think I'm such a great guy. Uh, I laugh, um, but you know, it's because it, it is a challenging job, like many of our jobs are. But it's challenging on a different level because I'm literally listening to pain and suffering all day long. But one, what, I, what I'm getting at is back to this, this idea of taking care of yourself is one thing they teach us a lot in graduate school is self-care, mm -hmm. is knowing how to set boundaries with people like Matt was talking about earlier, um, is knowing how to, what helps you kind of recoup your energy. Um, and so that, I mean, I, I'm always putting myself first, like even to the point where I will have a patient who wants to see me more frequently, I will just tell them no because I don't have the time and my schedule's full and I'm not going to make these extra appointments because I will burn out. Yeah. And so again, back to this idea, we've got to be taking care of ourselves and it is not a selfish thing. It is a healthy thing to do that in order to be a service to other people. You know, well, the, that's, uh, well, I was, 
okay. I'll go and then you. How about that, Brad? Uh, one, one thing that is hard, it has been hard for me about that is that I, I, I think I've really tried to control the way that other people respond to things that I do and things that I say in, in my life where, um, and, and maybe this goes back to what you're saying earlier about conflict. Like if, if I, I, I won't want to be honest with something that I'm thinking or feeling, um, because I'm, I'm worried how that's going to impact somebody else. Or even if I'm in a good mood and they're in a bad mood, I don't want to make their thing worse by being like super, super happy when they've just had this horrible tragedy or something like that in, in their life. Um, and, and so I, may, maybe it was around when I had the conversation with Noah Rochette about Buddhism, but, but that idea of, of attachment to certain things and, and like letting go of that. I think this has been something I've been trying to let go of is that, that idea that I'm somehow responsible for the way that other people react to things that I do. Very common thing that people struggle with. Um, I'll, just a quick antidote. I would say that, Glenn, that as we know rationally, it is impossible, impossible to please others. Yeah. And when we try to get in this game of fortune telling what other people are going to think and what they're going to feel after what we say, I mean, that is a fruitless endeavor. Yeah. And, and, and the antidote that I would give is, 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 is I'd say, you know, you could, you could tomorrow, Glenn, donate a half million dollars to a children's uh, cancer research fund or hospital. And there would still be people who are upset with you about that. There would still be people who would question why you were doing that or how come you didn't give more or how come you didn't give it to this other thing. So the idea why are you saying you're going to give us a half million dollars when you don't actually have it? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, just to the point that it is impossible to avoid conflict and to please others at all times. So being more authentic, I think is where I'd like to, you know, try to try to be. Yeah. And, and, and accept, accept that people won't always like you <laughs> or accept that people won't always respond positively to the things that you do and say, that's, that's been, that's been a hard one for me, but not as much anymore to the point where like if Brad and I are starting to talk at the same time, instead of going, Oh no, no, you go ahead. When I really want to go ahead, I'm, I'm comfortable now saying, no, I'll go ahead and then you can have your turn, Brad. And Brad, that's my way of saying, now it's your turn. Oh, sure. <laughs> so, uh, you know, kind of along those lines, you know, I remember, you know, 10 minutes ago we were talking. So what about I was thinking was. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well played. That's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. So, uh, you know, 10 minutes ago about relationships being so key, you know, and, and, your know, happiness and when people like graph out or, or get to the place where they're living a, a better life, it's, it's relationships. And then I, I just went back and, and cross cut that with, as we're leaving the church and all of our, our family members are still in the church. Now you have these new relationships with all unhealthy boundaries, because as the person leaving the church, you now have bad you know, boundaries, you know, parents calling you up, sending you shit saying, Hey, here's a talk. Why don't you read this one more time to come back into the church and just how frustrating and challenging that whole thing is. And so I would say in a lot of ways, I feel so good that 
through the five years I've evolved and built those boundaries up and, uh, you know, am in a place where I, I maintain the boundaries within my uh, siblings and parents and they aren't bad, but I'm going all the way back to the, to the email that started this whole thing with this guy who's just processing leaving the church. Yeah. And what advice would you give him? I don't know. I would say, I, I guess from what we've said is get your relationships right and the rest will kind of fall into place. I mean, is that kind of what you would tell him? Well, I don't even think that it's really my place to tell him anything, but you know, what I want to do is share some ideas and then he's going to respond to it somehow and just kind of, I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like, hopefully it's helpful or not, but I don't know that there's like, I, I think Colton's the most qualified to tell anybody what they should do. Yeah. And, and, and surprisingly, I don't, you know, you, a whole, I, well, I do at times, yeah. but Brad earlier was mentioning when we're talking about the meaning of life, people often look for the authority figure to tell them what it is. Yeah. And I'm shocked. I guess I shouldn't be because I realize I am an authority figure when I'm in the therapy room, but people will ask me, and, and a lot of my patients, you know, find out through our discussions that I'm an atheist and they immediately go to that stereotype. Well, why, why do you even keep on living? You know, more of that nihilistic phase again. And what's the point to you? And anyway, so my, I always turn it back on them. And, 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 and I guess if, if I were to just be really cliche about this meaning of life thing, I would say the meaning of life is what you want it to be. And it's different. There's no universal thing out there. It's different for every single person. The meaning of life of the guy living in, in India is going to be different than the meaning of life than the woman living in Switzerland and to each their own. And as long as they're not, uh, as long, in my opinion, as long as people aren't trying to force that or hurt others through their meaning of life, well, you know, good, good, good on them. So hookers and blow can be the right answer here for some it, people. If for some people. Wow. Let me ask uh, a question. This may not make any sense, but I was thinking about this today, yesterday. If, which would you, there's a, would you rather, right? Would you have, would you rather have knowledge and understanding of kind of universal truth and not be able to explain it to anybody or not understand it at all, but have people think that you do? I live my life by the latter, so I'm going to go with that. And I'll tell you why I was why I was thinking about that. Sorry, Matt, that probably like, no, no, no. Anyone else? What do you think? Is there? I would need more time to grapple with the extremities from each of those two. All right. So let me let me tell you why I brought that up, and the kind of my my thought on it is: to me, ultimate reality becomes when you are resolved and kind of say this is right for me and no longer feel compelled to justify it or try to convince others that that's what they should do for them. That's freedom. To me, there's real peace in that and that that's a struggle of, and really ultimately maybe a test of whether or not we've actually obtained um, self-authority, whether or not, you know, you can say, no, I feel like, feel like I've got it for me. And understanding that there's no way that that, that could, should, or, um, you know, would be, would be able to even be communicated if it would work for someone else. And instead find ways to, I guess, 
affect, you know, use that truth in your own life and really see that application. Because I feel as we spend so much time talking about truth and goodness and virtue and, you know, help and let's do this and a lot less time actually engaging um, in what we think is that, um, you know, it, it affects that. And instead it become you know, we're all become social justice warriors by talking about what should be without actually creating or doing what we are saying should be. You know, going along with what, what Matt is saying is when I first left the church, I had this great need for people to understand why I wanted to explain it to them. I wanted them to be on the same ship as me. Yeah. So we're all moving the same direction. As I've become more comfortable with my decision, I have little to no desire to, to try to convince anybody of anything. I feel really comfortable where I'm at. I feel like I'm living an authentic life to what I believe. And again, like Matt would say, I, I, that brings me, that brings me peace and contentment. And if people want to join me on that journey and they want to pick my brain of things that I've learned, great. If not, to each their own. Yeah. Was that an easy, easy journey to get there, Colton? So you mentioned you used to want to try to explain and justify. Now you're at a place where you're content and fine. Um, how was that journey? Um, a couple years long, I think. Uh, I mean, real personally, I, when I left the Elias Church, I was working for BYU-Idaho. And I don't know if I've said this before, but all in one day, I quit my job, I put my house on the market, and I told my wife she could divorce me. Like, I was going all out. And she didn't. She stayed with me. We moved to Missouri. So in many ways, not purposely Missouri, as I know it's kind of ironic, but I was kind of... <laughs> I had to, I had to get out of money. <laughs> Second coming is coming. We're going to Jackson County. Like, you, you, you didn't go by like uh, hand cart, did you? Hand cart, right? <laughs> I okay. Return to the. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I mean, we, and in, so in many ways I had to get out of Mordor. I mean, as, as in Southeast Idaho, which is, you know, Northern Utah. Yeah. And it gave me That's time, level, space, gave me time and space away from people, from friends, from family to really think things through and see what other people who aren't LDS live like. And I realized, holy shit, we're all very similar, actually. And there are decent, loving, good people, good people all over, and I can continue to do that. And so, yeah, I mean, I I think it is a process. But for me internally, once I I kind of accepted that from within, then I was able to just kind of let go and not trying to prove everything to everybody else. Yeah. So a few years ago, you know, we've been – Chris and I kind of trying to explore our own uh, approach to the world and spiritual practice, whatever. And it came to the point where something really, really worked for us. And initially it was kind of, Oh, let's proselyte, let's proselyte, you know, this is, this, you know, but it, it really becomes where that becomes irrelevant. What that spiritual practice, whatever that, that path towards um, connection and whatever is for us, because that's less interesting to me than the effect that it's really had in, in my life and the manner in which we now can communicate differently and the manner in which we, um, we interact and, and our days are just different and are, and, and as a result of that. So look, the kink community worked for us. It's not something I'm recommending for other people as a spiritual practice, but it'll just show you just how varied, you know, the various, um, you know, approaches to spirituality and enlightenment can be. I, th- I think we missed that. What did you say? The kink community? Yeah. I heard it. This is, this is the joke, right? I just want to make sure I understand the joke. 
They're no joke. What's the kink community? <laughs> wow. Is this, was this in the Matilda book that I missed? No. I have no idea. no idea what you're talking about. I'm leaving it out there, homie. You're going to have to figure it out. It's a different book, Fifty Shades of Grey. That's right. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What was the di- dichotomy that you, you presented earlier, Matt, it, to, to, to know the answers to everything but not be able to express it or to not know everything but have everybody think that you do? Was not everybody, it? but have people know that, yeah, have, have people perceive. They, they, they think that you've got it all figured yeah, out. that you've really got some, some access to, yeah. uh, to truth that you really just don't. Yeah. I would want to know. I would want to know. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, if those were the two options, I think I'd be on that first side. I, I, like, it, what, it, what, it, what that question made me do, it made me think back to this email that we got from the listener. And, and one of the things that he said at the end was that, the thoughts that he thinks when he listens to the podcast. And, and I've heard this from, from a few people recently um, with, with some of the topics that we've discussed, that it makes them think things that they wouldn't normally think. Uh-huh. And they don't tell me what that is. And it doesn't really matter to me right. what that is, but it makes me feel good. You know, like it makes me feel good that I'm doing something that, you know, like this whole Rorschach test <laughs> um, analogy that I've been thinking of that I'm just going to, uh, you know, like to be able to express as I'm trying to figure out what I think is going on or what, where I find meaning or, you know, these kinds of things. Not that it's, I know absolute truth or anything of this because it's always shifting. It's always changing. Right. But that I share that journey and express that with other people and they get from it whatever they will. And when they say, you know, like it's, it's helping me, that's a, for me, a, a purpose, a meaning of, of life, um, you know, doing, doing this podcast, you know, and, and the, the kind of impact that it, it can have and has had on people. I, and I guess, I guess the, the follow-up then is to just say to thank you for those of you who find this meaningful that we're doing. And thank you for those of you that are having this conversation with me. I, I find so much value in just being able to bounce our different perspectives off of each other and try and create some meaning in the contrast that that, that brings. Yeah. Podcasts were integral for me too. And I'm not just talking about, um, I mean like this American life, just yeah. you know, being a farm boy from Southeast Idaho, I was not exposed to a lot of different ways of thinking. Mm. I was not exposed to diverse people. And so when the internet came around, just like for many of us, and then I could listen to these podcasts about all these different topics, it really helped kind of stretch my mind and help develop those critical thinking skills. I want to make a few comments real quick, um, kind of about the ex-Mormon community, because Matt was was touching on when he first, he wanted to proselytize and and feeling those same things. I want to convince people. And, and I found a, a lot of ex-Mormons kind of get stuck in that mindset. Um, like, like for me, uh, we have a great every Sunday meeting group um, here in St. George, uh, all of post-Mormon, ex-Mormons. And they meet, you know, every Sunday. And it's a good group of anywhere from 15 to 30 people. New people are coming in and out. And what I've noticed kind of as I've, as I've attended those and I've started attending less and less is a lot of folks get really a lot of ex-Mormons get stuck in that I need to prove something to the world. I need to show the world that Mormonism is bullshit. And that's understandable for some folks because it has done some real damage emotionally, physically, all that stuff to some people. But I've also found within myself, as I've accepted where I am more, I feel less of that need to push an agenda. And, And the reason I still attend occasionally is for the people, just because I've made some good friends through that group. 
it's less of to discuss what's going on in Mormonism. Anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of just spitballing here. But no, I, I, I'm glad you did. I, amen to that. Yeah. Because we can get stuck in our ex-Mormon mindsets just as much as we are stuck in our previous religious mindsets too. Yeah. So. Yeah, I would say that, that the best part of my processing out was finding a group of people that aren't ex-Mormon, that aren't religious, building healthy interactions with common interests. And so I, I enjoy the thought of Mormonism. I, I like to stay current with it because it's such a, a vital part of my siblings and parents' life. But, but there's no animosity. I, I stay current so that I can have conversations and I'm happy when their kids get baptized and stuff. But for, for me and my family, we we really live a life where we don't really think about Mormonism that often, and that's been good. You know, I think of, again, I've really been thinking about me as a little kid, a little me, and it, and it really feels that that was the true, a truer version of myself before I was corrupted by what, what for, for me is my biggest trauma is, is, uh, is, is the church and leaving the church. It has, that has been my, you know, my own, you know, everybody has their thing, man, that has, that has fucked them up. And for me, that was, that was my thing. Um, and I think about that kid that was uncorrupted, that was filled with wonder and confidence. And, and I feel like I found him again. And in finding him, tapping into this true version of myself, this little uncorrupted little me, I become a more healthy adult. So it's like, I feel like I went from child to the kind of adult and then found my child, my child self again. And in doing that, I'm truly an adult and I found wonder and hope and life and love um, again. And so I don't know, man, that's, that's been, um, that's been, that's been my thing is I keep talking about God uh, because, you know, there's these terms we use for me. God is little me. That uncorrupted me that saw, you know, that, that was powerless, you know, but saw kind of where there was suffering and, 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 and goodness and people and wanting to help and wanting to just see goodness in the world and just having that kind of wide eye approach is to hopefully doing that. And now that I have a little bit more power and influence, being able to affect change for little me where he saw it and where I see it and where those things intersect to now try to, now that I'm not as helpless and not as little um, and can impact, you know, this world to try to do that, whether it's a computer simulation, whether I'm a <laughs> madman or whether or not God is, you know, Gaia is, 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 um, is a all shared consciousness and I'm just an expression of the universe experience in itself, whether it's all of those things, Maybe I can just live healthy, live long, and prosper. Prosper, uh, prosper, man. I, I'm I'm glad you brought up the simulation again because I wanted to go back to that. And and when you're talking about like the the you know the the innocent mini mat, um, as you thought about the the possibility of what we're experiencing now as being some kind of a simulation, you know, like a really really 
advanced virtual reality game kind of, kind of thing. I think is how you described it earlier. Um, would, would, would you, have, have you ever considered that maybe the things that you're experiencing in this life were elements that were designed into the simulation specifically so that you could experiencing, experience them and that you in fact were the one who designed the, the game that you're currently playing in this simulation or is that too similar to certain kind of Mormon beliefs that you just kind of go, nah, I'm not going to. No, it's, it's that more all. that, but I, I don't even, so simulation or let's, let's say what I'm going to say is the organic model, the scientific, the, the, the Gaia model where the same thing could be the same that I've chosen these things for me. I have a, I have a friend who, who has, has experienced incredible suffering. I mean, he's, he's, uh, his, his, his wife died of, um, colon cancer you know for after a year very early in their marriage and right and he always talks about um i always wonder why i did this to myself like why i wanted to go through this and he kind of has that model of he does this to himself where he's tricking himself or he's putting himself through some experience and it's and 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 whether it's a simulation that you chose or you know you are experiencing this through yourself you know and, and you're making that choice or you you understand that um, yes, I have spent time thinking about that. And, and in many ways, this concept of God is important to that because so, for so many years, it's always been talking to this man in the sky. And then other times it's been talking to the universe and other times it's been talking to, you know, my loved ones, my wife, my other, you know, my kids, just kind of that idea. It over time, finally, it started being talking to me. And so when things happen, I'll think, okay, I guess this is what I want, want to happen. I guess this is what's best for myself. Not in a determinist way but in a way to navigate a, a a world and saying that yeah this is that that i can i love myself and so let me try to find um solutions or or responses to this environment that is the healthiest for me but understanding that some of the things that i'm going to experience are going to be particularly painful and try to spend time as as me knowing me the best way more than anyone else in what way can i utilize this to then live long live healthy and live in a way that allows me to connect to the people that i love and that love me but it's little me it's four-year-old five-year-old me that's i loved what you said about jake the other day man about that mischief the innocence mischief he had that that twinkle in his eye, the trickster that would never do harm. And I and I think about a lot of us as kids like that, playful, trickster, but benevolent and loving. And I think of myself, how I was as a kid, and I was very, had a, just a lot of compassion for for other people, and 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 that 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 is retained in so many ways and and I'm trying to tap into that more and more to have even greater compassion because over years I forced that those feelings of compassion for other people to be calloused because it was too much you know I I'd, I'd see fictional characters um you know especially you know you know the disabled for example just get treated poorly and I couldn't I I couldn't sleep at night you know as a kid so I had to kind of shut that off and what I'm now trying to do is open that up in order to affect, you know, to, in, for, in order for that to be a feature rather than a bug. Um, and so I, anyway, I think if we all kind of think of little us and the people that we wanted 
we need it in the world when we were little. And I've been really thinking about the do unto others things and how, how the concept of do unto others in a Christian concept, concept um, allows people to be particularly cruel. Because do unto others the way that you would be treated. Really what we're saying is do unto others the way that we allow others to treat us, which might include God, might include religious leaders, might include our families, and might include ourselves. And we allow ourselves to be treated so poorly that then do unto others becomes an option to all manner of cruelty, including if we just say what type of what type of behavior can I have that God would do, which include cursing and arbitrariness and chosen people and this and that. But instead, I say, do unto others the way that the uncorrupted child that you were needed done to them. And we tap into that and we can spend time remembering what that was like. And if we do that, we can help the younger generation that are looking for people in the world that we were looking for, because all they want to do is evolve. All they want to do is live. All they want to do is love. And they kind of know how to if we'll get out of their way and stop corrupting them to live lives that we never have, you know, so they can live lives that we didn't have the courage to, or that we didn't have access to options because of our own corrupt, the corruptions of our families or our religions or our schools or these types of things. Let's try to um, help our kids evolve in a world that's changing. We need them to help us evolve as well. So one of the things I keep talking about is technology the greatest thing I've ever done is engage with my kids on Snapchat and have them teach me how to do live in that world rather than say, that's bad that's this. And we, that's elevated our intimacy as a family, as we've been able to, as, as we've been embracing their world and trying to, um, you know, figure it out together because I don't have all the answers, but my wife has some, and my 14-year-old has some, and my 22-year-old has some, and my 19-year-old has some, and some other friends have some. And collectively, I feel pretty good about the way I can navigate in this world. And so I'll continue asking questions rather than seeking answers. Because wonder has led to a lot of great, great experiences. And I don't intend to kill myself tonight. And so since I won't do that, I'll choose instead to live this way. All right. And fuck the church. <laughs> somebody, somebody shared a story with me um, a couple of months ago. All right. I have to do that. I have to do that in order to maintain my infant crowd. You have to, Oh, the screw the church. Okay. Go shy of the church. Yeah. All right. Five, five, five points. I'll, I'll, I'll clear it with Bob. Thanks. Make sure you get the points. Somebody shared a story with me and I, I, I was thinking about reading it and getting your response to it. It's too long to read. So I'm just going to summarize it. Maybe I'll include it in like post-production or something like that. But it's, it's a story called The Little Soul. It's written by someone named Neil Donald Walsh. And my first response to it was, oh, this is just way too Christian, gross. I don't even want to hear it. Once I got through that, I found some real value in it. Um, and so basically it's, it's, you know, once upon a time, there was a little soul who said to God, I know who I am. That's wonderful. Who are you? I'm the light, blah, blah, blah. The little soul wants to experience itself, but can only experience itself by contrasting itself against other things that it's not. And one of the things that the little soul says that it wants to learn or experience is forgiveness. It wants to be able to know how to forgive. But in order to do that, 
there has to be some offense that needs to be forgiven. And so one of the little soul's friends said, well, I'll be that person that, you know, is a, is a contrast against you and I'll do some harm. It's very, you know, like kind of pre-existence, pre-mortal kind of, kind of thing there. Um, Who are these children? Coming exactly. Down? Right. Right. Coming and down. so that, that when, when you meet somebody in your life, that is just a fucking asshole. Yeah. <laughs> but one, one way of looking at that could be, okay, you're, you're providing me right now the opportunity to be a bigger person or to be a forgiving person or to let this thing go um, rather than just going, you are such a fucking asshole or such a fucking church or whatever that thing might be. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, and I know I, I'm just giving a, a quick sloppy summary of the story. Is, that, is there anything in that that resonates with any of you at all? Yeah, I, as you're no. describing that, <laughs> as you describe that, I was thinking about, you know, the, the topic here, which is the meaning of life. And I, I guess what I'm going to come around to is I don't know what the meaning of life is, but I figured out things that don't bring meaning to life. Mm. And so that opposition and in, in what you're describing in that story, I know for me, the LDS church brings me no meaning whatsoever. So I'm done with that. Um, I know for me that, oh, I don't know. I mean, there's countless examples. Not even as a contrast to go, okay, I'm not going to be that way. Well, I mean, yeah, because I've been there, done that, and it yeah. did not bring me meaning, and it will not bring me meaning. So why would I want to continue to entertain that? But it, But it has brought you meaning just from the fact that you've, learned I don't want to be like that I don't want to do that in the rejection of it right sure yeah okay. yeah and it okay. did bring me meaning at certain parts of my life but you know as we move through life I think our meanings change mm -hmm. and things that used to bring us meaning may not do that for us anymore and that's yeah. okay mm. well my mother would say you're giving up your blessings of obedience by not following altogether are you trading <laughs> your birthright for a bowl of porridge Stew. Stew? Okay. All right. <laughs> Look, and it is, it's, it's so hard. It's so hard to break out. I mean, when these cultural and social pressures, these loyalty tests, these things are just, it's really, really, it was really painful, man. It was hard and it's still hard, man. I saw my parents last night or on Friday and there's just such disconnection. We will never have the relationship that I would hope. And it's because of a lot of things. And it's painful. It sucks, but it's, it is better than the alternative, which was living um, less authentically and still not having connections, but it was just the appearance of connections and time wasted. Amen. Yay. Did we resolve everybody? Is everybody happy and healthy? And now we know meaning of life, right? <laughs> Why are we here? What's life all about? Is God really real? Or is there some doubt? Well, tonight we're going to sort it all out. For tonight, it's the meaning of life. What's the point of all these hoax? Is it the chicken and the egg time? Are we just yolks? Just one of God's little jokes. We're so the meaning of life. 
This is Hillary, Matthew, Ryan, Carol, Keith, Ashley, and I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. If you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? Somebody shared a story with me, and I... I, I was thinking about reading it and getting your response to it. It's too long to read. So I'm just going to summarize it. Maybe I'll include it in like post-production or something like that. But it's, it's a story called The Little Soul. It's written by someone named Neil Donald Walsh. And ba- basically it's, it's, you know, once upon a time there was a little soul who said to God, Once upon no time there was a little soul who said to God, I know who I am. And God said, that's wonderful. Who are you? And the little soul shouted, I am the light. God smiled a big smile. That's right, God exclaimed. You are the light. The little soul was so happy, for it had figured out what all the souls in the kingdom were there to figure out. Wow, said the little soul. This is really cool. But soon... Knowing who it was, was not enough. The little soul felt stirrings inside and now wanted to be who it was. And so the little soul went back to God, which is not a bad idea for all souls who want to be who they really are, and said, Hi God, now that I know who I am, is it okay for me to be it? And God said, You mean you want to be who you already are? Well, replied the little soul, it's one thing to know who I am and another thing altogether to actually be it. I want to feel what it's like to be the light. But you already are the light, God repeated, smiling once again. Yes, but I want to feel what that feels like, cried the little soul. Well, said God with a chuckle, I suppose I should have known. You always were the adventuresome one. Then God's expression changed. There's only one thing. What? asked the little soul. Well, there's nothing else but the light. You see, I created nothing but what you are. And so there's no easy way for you to experience yourself as who you are, since there's nothing that you are not. Huh? said the little soul who was now a little confused. Think of it this way, said God. You are like a candle in the sun. Oh, you're there all right, along with a million gazillion other candles who make up the sun. And the sun would not be the sun without you. It would be a sun without one of its candles. And that would be not the sun at all, for it would not shine quite as brightly. Yet, How to know yourself as the light when you are amidst the light? That's the question. Well, the little soul perked up. You're God. Think of something. Once more, God smiled. I already have, God said. Since you cannot see yourself as the light when you are in the light, we'll surround you with darkness. What is darkness? The little soul asked. God replied, It's that which you are not. Will I be afraid of the dark? cried the little soul. Only if you choose to be, God answered. 
There's nothing really to be afraid of, unless you decide that there is. You see, we're making it all up. We are pretending. Oh, said the little soul, and felt a little better already. Then God explained that in order to experience anything at all, the exact opposite of it will appear. It's a great gift, God said, because without it, you could not know what anything is like. You could not know warm without cold, up without down, fast without slow. You could not know left without right, here without there, now without then. And so, God concluded, when you are surrounded with darkness, do not shake your fist and raise your voice and curse that darkness. Rather, be a light unto the darkness, and don't be mad about it. Then you will know who you really are, and all others will know too. Let your light shine so that everyone will know how special you are. You mean it's okay to let others see how special I am? Asked the little soul. Of course, God chuckled. It's very okay. But remember, special does not mean better. Everyone is special, each in their own way. Yet many others have forgotten that. They will see that it's okay for them to be special only when you see that it's okay for you to be special. Wow, said the little soul, dancing and skipping and laughing and jumping with joy. I can be as special as I want to be. Yeah, and you can start right now, said God, who was dancing and skipping and laughing right along with the little soul. What part of special do you want to be? What part of special, the little soul repeated. I don't understand. Well, God explained, being the light is being special, and being special has lots of parts to it. It's special to be kind. It's special to be gentle. It's special to be creative. It's special to be patient. Can you think of any other ways it's special to be? The little soul sat quietly for a moment. I can think of lots of ways to be special, the little soul then exclaimed. It's special to be helpful. It's special to be sharing. It's special to be friendly. It's special to be considerate of others. Yes, God agreed. And you can be all of those things, or any part of special that you wish to be at any moment. That's what it means to be the light. I know what I want to be. I know what I want to be, the little soul announced with great excitement. I want to be the part of special called forgiving. Isn't it special to be forgiving? Oh yes, God assured the little soul. That is very special. Okay, said the little soul. That's what I want to be. I want to be forgiving. I want to experience myself as that. Good, said God. But there's one thing you should know. The little soul was becoming a bit impatient now. It always seemed as though there were some complication. What is it? The little soul sighed. There's no one to forgive. No one? The little soul could hardly believe what had been said. No one, God repeated. Everything I have made is perfect. There's not a single soul in all creation less perfect than you. Look around. It was then that the little soul realized a large crowd had gathered. Souls had come from far and wide, from all over the kingdom. For the word had gone forth that the little soul was having this extraordinary conversation with God, and everyone wanted to hear what they were saying. Looking at the countless other souls gathered there, the little soul had to agree. 
none appeared less wonderful, less magnificent, or less perfect than the little soul itself. Such was the wonder of these souls gathered around, and so bright was their light that the little soul could scarcely gaze upon them. Who then to forgive? asked God. Boy, this is going to be no fun at all, grumbled the little soul. I want to experience myself as one who forgives. I wanted to know what that part of special felt like. And the little soul then learned what it must feel like to be sad. But just then, a friendly soul stepped forward out of the crowd. Not to worry, little soul, the friendly soul said. I will help you. You will? The little soul brightened. But what can you do? Why, I can give you someone to forgive. You can? Certainly, chirped the friendly soul. I can come into your next lifetime and do something for you to forgive. But why? Why would you do that? The little soul asked. You, you who are a being of such utter perfection, you who vibrate with such a speed that it creates a light so bright that I can hardly gaze upon you, what could cause you to want to slow down your vibration to such a speed that your bright light would become dark and dense? What could cause you who are so light that you dance upon the stars and move through the kingdom with the speed of your thought to come into my life and make yourself so heavy that you could do this bad thing. Simple, the friendly soul said. I would do it because I love you. The little soul seemed surprised at the answer. Don't be so amazed, said the friendly soul. You've done the same thing for me, don't you remember? Oh, we have danced together, you and I, many times. Through the eons and across all the ages, we have danced. Across all time and in many places, we have played together. You just don't remember. We have both been all of it. We have been the up and the down of it, the left and the right of it. We have been the here and the there of it, the now and the then of it. We have been the male and the female, the good and the bad. We have been the victim and the villain of it. Thus have we come together, you and I, many times before, each bringing to the other the exact and perfect opportunity to express and to experience who we really are. And so, the friendly soul explained further, I will come into your next lifetime and be the bad one this time. I will do something really terrible. And then you can experience yourself as the one who forgives. But what will you do? The little soul asked, just a little nervously. That will be so terrible. Oh, replied the friendly soul with a twinkle. We'll think of something. Then the friendly soul seemed to turn serious and said in a quiet voice, You are right about one thing, you know. What is that? The little soul wanted to know. I will have to slow down my vibration and become very heavy to do this not-so-nice thing. I will have to pretend to be something very unlike myself. And so, I have but one favor to ask of you in return. Oh, anything, anything, cried the little soul and began to dance and sing. I get to be forgiving, I get to be forgiving. Then the little soul saw that the friendly soul was remaining very quiet. What is it? The little soul asked. What can I do for you? You're such an angel to be willing to do this for me. Of course this friendly soul is an angel, God interrupted. Everyone is. Always remember, I have sent you nothing but angels. 
And so the little soul wanted more than ever to grant the friendly soul's request. What can I do for you? The little soul asked again. In the moment that I strike you and smite you, the friendly soul replied. In the moment that I do the worst to you that you could possibly imagine, in that very moment... Yes? The little soul interrupted. Yes? Remember who I really am. Oh, I will, cried the little soul. I promise. I will always remember you as I see you right here, right now. Good, said the friendly soul. Because, you see, I will have been pretending so hard, I will have forgotten myself. And if you do not remember me as I really am, I may not be able to remember for a very long time. And if I forget who I am, you may even forget who you are and we will both be lost. Then we will need another soul to come along and remind us both of who we are. No, we won't, the little soul promised again. I will remember you, and I will thank you for bringing me this gift, the chance to experience myself as who I am. And so the agreement was made, and the little soul went forth into a new lifetime, excited to be the light, which was very special, and excited to be that part of special called forgiveness. And the little soul waited anxiously to be able to experience itself as forgiveness, and to thank whatever other soul made it possible. And at all the moments in that new lifetime, whenever a new soul appeared on the scene, whether that new soul brought joy or sadness, and especially if it brought sadness, the little soul thought of what God had said. Always remember, God had smiled, I have sent you nothing but angels. Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. Infants on Thrones.